Oh, that must have been offside at the other end yeah. of the pitch. And uh, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I think if I was recruiting an analyst, I wouldn't want someone who gets emotionally swept away in a game. I'd want someone cool and collected who doesn't really care, like mm. Andy Hinchley. Yeah, if I retire from co-commentary, I think I could easily be an analyst. Do you think you could be an panic coat but not jump up when a goal goes in? No, you know, that's so quali- over-qualified event, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, in a previously edited out section of this conversation that we're now having, mm. which I have deemed to, to be worthy of the podcast and not quite as uh, insulting as what came before, uh, you, you don't like press officers who wear club track suits. Club suits, okay? Club suits, fine, absolutely. Club track suits. Why, why are you wearing a track suit? Because you, you want you, to look like a substitute. You're not doing it on the pitch, are you? <laughs> the why press are you wearing officer? a track suit, yeah. Yeah, you're still connected to the, that. You can no, get club away suits. With that. But you don't track want. Why would you? Why do you need to wear a tracksuit? You're, you're not going on the field. Are they boots? They've got their shin, shin pads <laughs> and a little wash bag under their arm. You don't just really, in case of the cool big cups. headphones. You, you don't really do that anymore. But a lot of assistant no, managers I, used to I, wear boots, didn't they? I, I saw. I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's reminded me of someone. I won't say who oh, it is. Go on, go no, on. no, no, no. Because he's That's absolutely. I'm sure Sammy. And I was surprised when I saw him in a tracksuit for an away game. And even I gave him the look of what on earth are you wearing a tracksuit? So yes, I agree with Sammy Lee. Always wears boots, doesn't he? I think so, yeah. We should check during the World Cup, but I'm pretty sure he was not. He's not part of the England squad. He's one of Gareth Southgate's assistants. No, he's with Sam Edison. Oh, has he gone to Sam? Oh, he's not. He's not the 21-man squad yet, though, so we could still have. And now that Oxlade-Chamberlain's injured, it could well be Sammy Lee. I forgot that Sam doesn't go anywhere without Sammy. No, it was quite controversial, Sammy Lee, going to Everton. Because he was one of Gareth Southgate's troops of his Liverpool connections. But fortunately, he's... He's sabotaged them in their mid-table. It's fine. <laughs> no, unfortunately, or fortunately, Sammy Lee, short though he is, sits very much astride all of football because of all his achievements. Sammy Lee, uh, the first time I saw someone, Sammy Lee was at Sam Allardyce's first England press conference and Sammy Lee gave me a kiss. Is that right? Yeah. Was it as awkward as Donald no. Trump and uh, President Macron? Who he calls Macron. <laughs> Macron. <laughs> Macron. <laughs> Which makes him sound like a dirty cop. Oh, I just, yeah. I just, Macron. I just think of the Bolton Stadium. Back to Sammy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I do you know what I do. President Macron. Yeah. <laughs> Where's he, where he from? Horwich? <laughs> <laughs> the Middlewich shopping park. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is in a box. Oh, wow. And has yet to be revealed uh, because the knot is being tied in the knot. It's got a sometimes. ribbon around it. It's got a ribbon. So this is from uh, spent spent a day the other day in. Don't worry, it keeps um, in Upper Mill, which to people who don't know Upper Mill but do know the Bramall Woodford conversation of the previous podcast. Yes, Upper Mill is the Bramall. Yes, to. To let's work it out. You've not. You've not. Yes, I worked it out. I worked it out. I just didn't write it down. (laughs) To Saddleworths, Woodford. Right. So it's got a nice little village and it's beautiful. A nice little park. Yes. Definitely worth visiting. Yes. But the residential got you heft. Yes. Is in Saddleworth slash Woodford. Okay. And okay. should we not explain these very minor places <laughs> no, to, to all of our international yeah. That's why I thought I'd go through it quickly. <laughs> so I'm now going to reveal. What do you think it is, by the way, everybody? This is from the Victoria Team Rooms in. Um, Strons. I think it's scones. Um. Cream bun. It's not. Type. It's not a cake. I, oh, it's not a cake. It's not a cake because I've done cake before. Are they shoe different. buns? Shoe buns. No. It's in a box. <laughs> <laughs> No, Jesus. I mean, this, 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 this is a, a tantalising big. Oh, room. You're not going to get it because when I saw it, I thought this is extraordinary. Yeah. Is Do you remember what was your favourite biscuit when you were growing up? Oh, well, no, I, no, I probably. I, I like to stay regular, so a fig roll. A fig roll. These are a gargantuan party ring. Oh wow! 
So many people will know, I don't know if it's a, it's a global thing, but you get party rings, which are biscuits, circular biscuits with a hole taken out with a glaze of icing. Mm. Well, these are those, but massive. It's like a massive purple Rolo. Uh, so, oh, not Rolo, no, Polo. 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 It's Polo. like the, the coffee shops where you can now get a ginormous custard cream. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. chocolate bourbon. Bourbons, that's it's the, the size of a yes. plate. Yes. Yes. So we're that all gonna is. we're all gonna crack on with a party ring or two. See, um, I was gonna take a photo. Oh yes, take a photo. We don't have one each, do we? But Smith has already. Wa- oh, there's oh there's two. Oh, there's two. Really two. Say, I, 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 I love party already Do you like party rings? So anybody who doesn't know party rings, we will. I need we need we need something. All right, Steve. We haven't got forty minutes to create an excellent photo. Size reference. I'm Hugh Ferris, just in order to move on. Uh, with me are Rory Smith, who has to go to Leeds later today. Stephen Wyeth, who has to go to do the school run later today. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who has nowhere at all to go because he's reached the very top by doing a podcast with three idiots. No, I do. I do. I've got to go to the vets to pay Lola's ear operation bill, and it was massive. What's up with her ear? Oh, she's had to have her whole ear canal taken out. Sharpays have these problems. So now she's had both her ear canals taken out. She's technically deaf. No, oh, no. The poor doggy. The poor and doggy. Welcome to my world. Get in touch. Your emails and tweets can continue to excite and delight us so thank you to everybody for that at setpiece menu is where we are on twitter setpiece menu at gmail.com an update on the word had which is a conversation we've now had for the last this, this has taken off this hour. couple of weeks um from ben campbell <gasps> do you know ben campbell ben campbell is 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 a, is a friend of mine yeah well thank you this will be a theme that develops over the next five minutes i see so thank you to ben dear setpiece menu over the years i have sat through my godfather's had exposition too many times not to share it with you now. Now, the background is, is that Rory said he had a problem with the word had. The more times you say had, the weirder it sounds in your ears. So last week we had somebody saying that you can have four hads in a row, and that's the word that you can have the longest in a sentence for it to make sense. Rory and Chinch were having their essays marked, begins this sentence from Ben's grandfather, godfather rather. Rory, where Chinch had had had, had 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 had, had 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 the teacher's approval. Which apparently if he's right, is 11 hads, which is surely unbeatable, even if it does remain only marginally interesting. I thought, I thought that I knew of a sentence in which there were 13 hads, but I didn't have the nerve to admit it. Maybe it was 11. So 11 is what we have. Ben Rory Campbell. and Chinch were having their essays marked. Rory, where Chinch had had had, had 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 had, had 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 the teacher's approval. So if you can follow that, uh, yeah. you're doing better than us. Um, M. Britton, who is the Pigeon Post on Twitter, also wanted us to know about the buffalo sentence. This is astonishing. Which reads like this. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. No, it doesn't read like that. You've got to, you've got to put the correct intonation in it. It makes it's sense. Coming, it's coming the second time around. Uh, is a grammatically correct, according to Wikipedia, sentence in American English. They have different rules over there. Using the city of buffalo as one buffalo, the verb buffalo, which means to bully, and the animal buffalo as well. Which is like a cow with horns. So if you extrapolate it, it essentially means <laughs> buffalo from buffalo, that other buffalo from buffalo, bully themselves, bully buffalo from buffalo. What? Get it? It worked. It worked. Uh, so any more um, ridiculously not at all football related emails are very six? welcome. Is that six? Seven. Seven. No, it was eight buffalo. Eight, eight buffalo. It's just simply buffalo, 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 buffalo. Can you do it like that, Chinch? What? Just say it with the same way every it's time like really you say the quickly. word? <laughs> Sure, you've got to inflect a little bit, haven't you? Well, buffalo, buffalo, yeah. buffalo, 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 buffalo. That's far better. But I, that's without the bullies that are buffaloes. Mm. So that's, that's the latest in buffalo slash hands news. That, that genuinely blew my mind. The buffalo. Well, this is what happens, though, when you allow another nation of people to start messing around with your language, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. True. Yeah. 
<laughs> Steve Brexit Britain wife gets involved. We haven't talked nearly enough about Ben Campbell and how amazing he is, by the way. Is that right? Yeah. Would you like to do I that? I love Ben Campbell. You can have five seconds. He's just a... He's, he's oh, no, with the pressure, you couldn't I, do it. He's just... A, I once had a, a fantastic four days with him in, in Minnesota. All right, well, thank you very much. Oh, is he the guy that you had a wedding in Minnesota? Is it wasn't it his wedding. That? It was our friend Jimmy's wedding, but... Uh, ben, but ben was, was there. there. Yeah. Ben, thanks. Uh, Ravi Katri has got in touch uh, to say this. I had my car window open as I listened to Set Piece Menu recently. I stopped at a red light and a man selling flowers started approaching cars in front of me. He walked to my car and then walked by without asking if I wanted flowers. So thanks, guys, for putting off random people who are selling stuff to me on the street. Well, that's the, that's the, the tone we aim for. But who was speaking? At the time, we good point. Oh, crucial. Yeah, crucial. I mean, probably, probably me. Steve. Yeah, <laughs> probably just we were talking over each other. I'd have thought. Um, <laughs> so that goes to show that we are genuinely a public service. A regular contributor, um, Harry Bottler, has emailed. By the way, we need a better word for regular contributor. Buffalo. A buffalo. <laughs> it has been Recon. Recon. That sounds weirdly militaristic. Yeah. Uh, right. So you're a buffalo. If you get in touch regularly, you will be given the title of a buffalo. Uh, so buffalo, Harry Bottler has emailed. I recently <laughs> called. <laughs> with several episodes I particularly enjoyed the discussion of how to pronounce De Bruyne one of you suggested that there was a chance that Kevin didn't know how to pronounce his own name and I thought that his suggestion was unfairly dismissed my brother teaches at the school which Mikhail Antonio went to and lots of the teachers there used to teach him <laughs> that's the weirdest claim to fame that's Mikhail the brother went not to Mikhail school. Antonio that's extraordinary when he was at school he said that his name was pronounced Michael but was just an unusual spelling. After leaving school, however, he discovered that he'd been pronouncing his own name incorrectly and that it was correctly pronounced Mikhail, as in Mikhail, he helpfully uh, puts in brackets. Thanks, Harry. So there is a reasonable chance that KDB also can't pronounce his own name. Is Mikhail Mikhail Antonio's surname Antonio? I think of Antonio as being a Spanish first name. Maybe there's a, a secret surname that he's got that he's unaware of as well. Which may or may not be pronounced Correctly. Exactly. The man just doesn't know who he is. No. He could be a completely so different... He could be a really good footballer. To be honest, it's, it's, <laughs> am, it's amazing that despite this crisis of, identi- of identity that Mikhail Antonio has built such a fine career for himself. And he Indeed. has. He has. Another former Sheffield Wednesday legend. Uh, legend? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the last episode, which is number 73, thank you to Carmen for getting in touch. Hi, Steve, she says. Hello. <laughs> We're just Steve. And then just put in brackets, and Rory here and Chinge, because you'll remember that Simon Way, Steve's friend, got in touch saying, hi, Steve, yes, thinking yeah. it was just Steve. Yeah. So now can, can all emails just be addressed to Steve? It, it can right? be from now on. They will get ignored. Um, a long-time listener from Melbourne, Australia is Carmen. Bet she doesn't want to saddle with these. Following your discussion about managerial... There is Google. Uh, following your discussion about managerial movements and the greater likelihood of Eddie Howe picking up a big job because of his physical appearance, as opposed to Sean Dyche, which is something we touched on last week, <laughs> albeit <laughs> in a passing manner, I've always wanted to know whether a player's appearance slash attractiveness has impacted player transfers and how players are perceived. For example, Real Madrid's Claude Makélélé did not fit the Galacticos mould and was subsequently sold. Compare that to the purchase of James Rodriguez, who I think we can all agree is a very attractive man. Is quite right. Is Ronaldo status elevated due to his attractiveness? Would Rooney be more highly regarded if he looked like Beckham? And finally, and this is the very much the nub and the crux of it, and we want an answer, did Chinch's looks get him that move to Everton? It's <laughs> fair to say they did. I, I think they did, because if they saw me play football, you clearly wouldn't pay money for me. So that's why it didn't go to Manchester United or Liverpool or yeah, They wanted me, they Milan. wanted me. They were a, they were a team of fuggies, yeah. though, to be yeah. fair. This <laughs> is, this is she's, she's quite right. It, the, I know, absolutely. There have been studies done that show that if you watch a game, and there is a blonde player. In fact, I think you were blonde as a younger man, Chinch. Yeah, I was. Yeah, bleach blonde. Uh, if you have a, a, a sort of a, a player with a, with a shock of blonde hair, mm-hmm. they catch the eye much more. And 
that that is without question a kind of a, a trend that it's easier to spot a blonde player than it is anybody one of these brown haired idiots wandering about the place. And you can directly correlate Fernando Torres's blonde hair to his the peak of his career. Well, you can, and also he he dyed his hair or undyed his hair. I'm not quite sure which way around it was. Just let it grow out. Just let it grow out, I suppose. Went brown to mark his turn to the dark But then he started using an Alice band. You can't take anyone seriously wearing an Alice band. The blonde thing is definitely true. I would imagine that good-looking players get more positive press than non-good-looking players. And understandably so. But Wayne Rooney's eyes, honestly, so, so blue. Aqua blue. You could swim in those things. Take the rest of them away. But if, it's if, fine. <laughs> that's quite right. If Rooney, if Rooney had, but if you compare the treatment of Rooney and Beckham and their backgrounds, Rooney was always insulted for for being sort of working class and a bit of an oik. But he was exactly had exactly roughly the same kind of personal background as, as Beckham. But Beckham was always kind of the the, um, the acceptable face of the working class to the to, to kind of the the establishment because he was from a you know hardworking Essex family and he was a good looking, well presented boy, whereas Rooney wasn't. And if you compare the the way they were treated, there's definitely something. There could be a pod in this. There could be. Let's not waste this content. Yes, I I would like to have interjected a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. The blonde hair thing is true in all walks of life, though, not just for footballers, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's that must be. I don't know, but I guess that must be why blonde is considered attractive. It's more more noticeable. Uh, Andy Jessup has got in touch about our previous episode as well. Hi, guys. I've just discovered your podcast over here in America, he says, and I love it. I love the last conversation you had about the marriage of managers, head coaches, and existing club philosophies. My team, Bristol City, when last relegated, set a very clear philosophy and hired Sean O'Driscoll to oversee this. He was unable to buy into it and was replaced with Steve Cottrell, who got us promotion, then Lee Johnson. My point is, I think a philosophy or vision is the only way for clubs to move forward, and therefore it makes sense to hire someone in that mould. Keep up the Awesome show. He's from America. I look forward to going back and listening to the previous recordings. Yes, you will. You will look forward and you will do it now, Andy. Now. Hang on. If he's from America, why does he support Bristol City? Uh, he's from Columbus, Ohio, but he's a Bristol City. Oh, player. I thought he was going right to be Buffalo. That's a shame, isn't it? Andy Jessup, thanks. Yes, he may well. If he eventually emails back three or four times, gets in touch regularly, he will become. Wouldn't it be great to have a listener in Buffalo? A Buffalo. Mm. If you're wonderful? listening in Buffalo, you're already a Buffalo from Buffalo. Mm. Um, a lot of joy-related um, correspondence. Thank you very much indeed. In fact, on Twitter, a lot of joy related particularly to a goal by Riley McGree in the Australian mm. League. Oh, it's extraordinary. Never meant to it. At Set Piece Menu on Twitter if you oh, like it's the First touch in history, but it didn't clip the underside of the crossbar on the way in, so okay. not the best ever. Okay, well, put a cross by that one then. And that touch from Marcelo as well in the Champions League um, at Bayern, where he trapped the ball under the sole of his foot, to which Matt Skiandra commented on Twitter. But surely Chinch did it better, perhaps during that famous FA Youth Cup final in front of a full house at Main Road, he says, yeah, that yeah. you spoke about so such glowing terms last week. There is also a clip of Marcelo in training with Real Madrid, standing around talking, and then the ball rolls... F- Behind him, and without looking, he lifts his left, left leg up, traps the ball dead. Yeah. Without even seeing it. We, there's no way he can have known it was there. He's not trapping the ball. He's caressing it with his studs, isn't he? Yeah. That's what I tended to do. I didn't trap it. Trap it. It's like you're so clubbing. Hot... Did you have a, a, se- a sort of sixth sense of where, the, where there was a ball? Absolutely. Nearby? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where there's a ball, there's a trap. in the face. <laughs> yes. Um, Marcelo doesn't have to be blonde to be that good, which is nice. Um, by the way, lots of people saying that that was the finest soccer story ever last week, which is what? extraordinary really? because it wasn't really a story. It's just you bragging. <laughs> I, thought so, I think there was a heavy layers of sarcasm <laughs> there in was. all of that. Well noticed, Stephen. Well noticed. Also, it was massively factually incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, let's just gloss over that. People liked it. Matt's tweet did have full house in very obvious uh, speech marks. So thank you very much indeed for that sarcasm too. Um, also enjoy from Asim Modi. Hello, set piece menu. I'm an attorney living in San Francisco who's an 
Arsenal fan and a Hillary Clinton voter. As a result, it's been a less than ideal last couple of years. <laughs> However, one bright spot has been your podcast. From commutes, jogs and work and personal travel, the pod has always been an enjoyable, interesting and informative companion. Put that on the poster. Has he emailed the right pod? <laughs> yes, indeed. Definitely. He didn't even say hi, Steve, at the beginning. In particular, last fall, I ran my first marathon and the most important position, is it easier to play away from home and non-top six best 11 pods podcasts help me get through it. I wanted to share a couple of joy-bringing memories from attending Arsenal matches at Highbury and the Emirates. Turning first to Highbury, my abiding memory from the one match I attended there, a quite dismal Carling Cup semi versus Borough in 2004, was the sound of the seats clacking as everybody stood up when there was a shot and goal and the other <laughs> exciting moments in the match. I also recently attended the home leg of Arsenal's Europa League match with Milan during a long layover in London, and I had the pleasure to see the ref fall over. Yes. Refs so falling very, over, very, is that yeah. joyous? Yes, very much <laughs> Is so. that more joyous than a ref getting the ball in the face or getting hit with the ball? No, I think, don't no, be that's cruel better. As long as, there's no, as long as there's no injury, any sort of no, difficulties getting injured, but getting falling, the referee I like is good. it when the referee accidentally breaks up an attack. <laughs> yes, and you see everybody complaining, then realising that they're complaining to the guy who did it, so no. they stop yes. complaining. That yes. happened in a game that I was commentating, a German game I was commentating on over the weekend, but the player responsible for, for hitting the ref with the ball apologised because it was such a shambolic effort to <laughs> curl the ball around him that he acknowledged yeah. it was his mistake, which I thought was quite nice to see. We have two emails now that follow from people that we know that makes it the second and third uh, emails from people that we know. Richard Kilpatrick gets in touch. Who, Firstly, on, who, who knows Richard Kilpatrick? It will become clear. Firstly, I would like to thank you for providing the five-star entertainment for my commute to work from West Didsbury. Amazing. Which is, for all people living outside of West Didsbury, where we currently are. How many times do you have to travel to and from work oh, to on. get through an entire episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ferris, we're not in West Didsbury. We are here. Well, this strictly speaking, we are. No, we're not. Well, we're, we're Didsbury. Really? Closer to West. I'd say you're northern then. You're northern. Oh, no, we're not. That, that's, that's strictly speaking not true because of the wards in the local elections that are upcoming. Oh, we are Didsbury West. He's done me. He's done me. Didsbury West Ward. Um, over 73 podcasts, says Richard, who was rudely interrupted there with an <laughs> allegation that was proven not true. <laughs> allegation that devalued his house <laughs> yes, dramatically. <exactly. laughs> Take 20p off it. I found the content interesting, engaging, and at times even laughed at some of the classic chinch one-liners. A particular highlight has been the collective recommendation of Burton Road Bakery. I agree. It is very nice, especially after a Burton Road hangover. I was very much enjoying the podcast until the utter nonsense that came in the shape of episode 67, the ultimate Premier League. We chose 20 teams that best reflected the geography, the history, etc, mm -hmm. etc. Et much debated um, and much maligned, it would seem now, by Richard. You all spoke at length about the debate over Ipswich and Norwich, Derby and Nottingham Forest, Preston and Burnley, but you all brushed over the northeast of England, even managed to nonchalantly refer to the obvious inclusion of Newcastle and Sunderland. What are you talking about? Not just is Middlesbrough a lovely place for away fans to visit, pints available from 80p to £2, more Greggs than <laughs> you know what to do with, a big blue bridge that occasionally works, the Parmo, family days out at Hartlepool, Stockton-on-Tees and Redcar. So you want to get out of Middlesbrough every opportunity you can, can you, Richard? Um, election turnout of 0.21%. <laughs> a cine world. What more would a travelling fan want? Not to mention its footballing heritage. The first football team to be relegated from the Premier League after being docked points. The birthplace of Don Reavy, Brian Clough, the first Great Britain football club captain, George Hardwick. 
and Roy Chubby-Brown. Need I go on? <laughs> I think you do, Richard. In light of Sunderland's embarrassing attempt at competing at the Championship with the case put forward above, I would like you to officially reconsider Middlesbrough's place in your ultimate Premier League. Many thanks, and I look forward to you forwarding your apology onto the Middlesbrough supporters' enclave in Didsbury. Current population, five. From Richard Kilpatrick, who attaches a picture of baby Primrose yes. with a Middlesbrough scarf yes. around her neck. This is Dickie Kilpatrick, who will be Primrose's godfather, but she he, she is not going to support Middlesbrough. Why would I inflict that on the poor who, child? Who is she going to support, if you have your way? She is a Manchester City fan. She has a Manchester City baby grow. It has been decided. Once she, it's like the under-21s, isn't it? Once you play, <laughs> that's it. So she's had a baby grow Was on. it in a friendly? <laughs> uh, it was a very friendly baby grow. Uh, no, no, no it, was a, no, it was a proper game. It was a competitive baby grow. Right. Which means she is... And she's celebrated her first title victory as well for the Mighty Blues. So, there we done. go. Job done. And, uh, Richard, we are not going to reconsider. We can't have Middlesbrough in. Middlesbrough, I think, according to, to my dad, uh, Middlesbrough are kind of a top 20, 25 team, to be fair. But the problem with Middlesbrough is that it's it's not in anywhere because the North East keeps trying to get rid of it and Yorkshire's very much kind of... Mm, and sure. when you're in Middlesbrough, all you want to do is take day trips to Stockton to on Stockton. Yeah. Now, why would you want a day trip to Stockton? And finally, from Simon Way... Who we oh, uh, remember from last week, he Here addressed he the email to Steve. Dear, he says at the beginning, set piece menu team. Already an improvement. I've not seen Simon between these two emails, by the way. I would like to offer a sincere apology for addressing my last email to Steve rather than the team as a whole. I would also like to take the opportunity to explain why I did so, and in doing so, put all of the blame on Steve's shoulders. The fact is that I thought that Steve's role in the pod was to act as social media correspondent, included within which would be all emails sent to SPM. My reasons for thinking this were twofold. Number one, whenever asked in the famous school playground to which he so frequently refers what he does in the pod, Steve rather grandly puffs himself up like a peacock and announces to all who will listen that he handles all social media. Admittedly, all who will listen is generally just me because the other dads tend to be speaking to someone far more interesting, but the point still stands. And two, if Steve is not handling all social media and email, I'm really not sure what he does do. The roles of the other three contributors are very clear to me. And he goes on to say... Oh, good. Rory, with an eloquence in both the verbal and written word that puts him in the same bracket as Shakespeare and Charles Dickens... Agreed. ...is clearly the leader of the team. I know this because the New York Times tells me that SPM is his podcast. That is true. That is true. And I believe everything that the New York Times tells me, despite the protestations of President Spanky. (laughs) Which may well be something that the New York Times kind of agrees with. Rory is therefore clearly the Hannibal Smith of your A-team. Okay. Ah. Chinch... Yeah is obviously howling mad Murdoch. Just as Murdoch could fly anything, so Chinch's left foot could bend the ball into the top corner of the goal from any angle, Mm. just as long as the ball wasn't moving and the opposition weren't allowed within 10 yards of him. That's true. Chinch is also one of 11 men who contributed to one of the top three days of my entire life, September the 23rd, 1989. Incidentally, please don't ask me to rank the 5-1 Manchester Derby at Main Road against the day that I got married and the birth of my son, or at least don't ask me to do so in front of my wife. All that I'm saying is that I remember the 5-1 anniversary every year. Yeah, clearly he knows that's the best day of his life. Hugh is clearly the looker of the team. <laughs> what? And therefore fits nicely into the face oh role. Oh my god. What? You must have a lot of expensive equipment to record the pod, all of which I imagine was acquired by the small talking con man whose good looks and charm mean that he can win over the hardest of hearts and appropriate all needed items. That is true, but it's mainly pity. Yes. Which leaves us with Steve. 
He can't be B.A. because B.A. was a strong man and also very funny. So what does Steve do? <laughs> does talking with your mouth full count as a useful skill within your team? Was it really worth carrying him for 73 episodes just for those NHL t-shirts that he brought back from New York? <laughs> yes, yes. Yours in confusion and not the slightest bit bitter that Steve didn't bring me an L.A. Kings t-shirt back from New York. Simon. Thank you very much indeed, Simon. Uh, you are the person who has managed to have the least edited email read out on the podcast because it was all golden. Thank does, you. Does two emails make Simon a buffalo? Um, regular contributor, maybe two, maybe... No, I'm going to set, set a threshold of three plus. Okay, fine. So work on it, Simon. He's certainly no longer a friend of one <laughs> member of this <laughs> yes. podcast. Get in touch at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. So to our subject then today, and I'm sorry about this, but it's all about apologising. In the last couple of weeks, Claude Puel has apologised to Leicester fans after they lost to Crystal Palace. Some supporters have demanded apologies for poor performances, and the FA had to apologise to Harry Kane for a joke. This following other recent examples of players apologising. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Eric Bailly, both doing so really stuck in Rory's craw. Mm. So why is football so thin-skinned? And does this tell us more about the one apologising or those demanding it? Does the price of a ticket and the ceaseless support of the fan base mean that they deserve an apology? Or is there a strange sense of entitlement growing among supporters? So then, what's with all the apologising? Is it because we've got the platform to apologise? We've not had that in years gone by. And also, is it driven by the clubs or do you think it's the individuals that feel they perform so badly that they genuinely need to apologise themselves? Do you think the closest this thing with, is it uh, Victor Anichebe? He was told to tweet out about the fans that and came he up for a game. And he, he accidentally and cut was, and paste. And we realised the club had actually asked him to do it. Victor, could you tweet something yes. like this? Was yes. Included in so this, is, is it just... This, everyone's so politically correct and we've got to apologise for every goal we concede is it coming from the individuals is it the clubs promoting this or is it simply because we've got the social media platform to apologise I don't think it's the clubs I doubt the clubs are telling the players to apologise the one that really struck me was Eric Bailly after United lost to Sevilla where he I think it was on Instagram he said we're really sorry about this result we're, we're going to work hard to make sure it never happens again mm. I remember thinking Eric if you're going to remain undefeated for the rest of your career then then you are really setting the bar pretty high you yeah. cannot control the outcome of football unless you are doing so via nefarious means yes. Eric but it it does touch on kind of a, a what I think is a, a bit of a change which is that fans now don't or there is a section of fans who don't seem to believe that the possibility of defeat of seeing your team lose a game or, or be relegated or not win a title or whatever that's kind of part of the deal that's what you sign up for. You don't sign up for endless victory. You you only you, you get to enjoy the victories, but you you only get to enjoy them because there might also be defeats. And it seems to that seems to be kind of a new a trend is maybe too strong, but there's a new kind of aspect where fans, certain subject, subsections of fans, seem to view defeat as being in some way a betrayal rather than a natural consequence of your team Insulting them matches. personally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As though it must be like a moral failing. Has football not created that beast, though? But the more expensive it's become, and in many ways the less convenient it's become to follow your team both home and away, with moving kickoff times and rising cost of tickets and travel and such like, that although an apology or a guarantee of a wonderful performance does not come with the cost of your ticket, the more you're paying for it, the more you feel entitled to, to get value for money. If you're paying 
you know, 20 quid for your ticket and having a good day out of the football, you know, win, lose or draw probably doesn't matter so much than if you're suddenly paying 40, 50 quid for your ticket. The same again for travel, you know, the cost of food and drink is expensive and people are starting, well, hang on a second, I've invested a huge amount of my money in this experience and you have not delivered the quality of service that I was anticipating. And is it a way for the players to reconnect with the fans? Because there has been that distancing in terms of mm-hmm. how players, that, that understanding or the connection of the fans and players all being part of the same club. But, but that, do we believe it? Between them, but so do, is this do we a think way? it's genuine? Um, that's that's, that's the interesting it thing. It does reconnect if it's genuine. Sure, but if it's not, I'm sure Eric Bailly did genuinely mean mm. what he tweets and he is desperately unhappy about what happened and he is looking to put it right. But is it a way in the, the world of football as it is at the moment to reconnect with fans and say, I do care about what's happening. I'm not just being paid big money and it's just another game to me. I know to you it isn't. So to apologise for a mistake or a goal that you concede, is that a way of... of can, will the fans appreciate that the players are really caring about the job that they're doing in the club that they're playing for? for because there seems to be that, that clearly that distance between players and fans. I think you're probably right that it's, it's a way for the fan, for the players, for certain players, and by I suspect is one of them, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, I'm certain, is one of them, to, to, to apologise for something for which they feel partly personally responsible and, and certainly kind of very upset about. So Trent was after United beat Liverpool 2-1. Yeah in which he, you could make a case, was at fault for both goals. They both came down the left-hand side, didn't they? I'm not convinced he was at fault for both goals. But anyway, he clearly realised that he felt that he wasn't. And that was the enduring narrative afterwards, yeah, that it was, he had had a bad game. He'd been, he'd been sort of picked out as the, the weak link, and so it was therefore his fault. And, you know, he's a boyhood Liverpool fan. I'm yeah. sure he was. I'm sure he was very upset by it. And I'm sure he meant that he was sorry for those mistakes that he made. And that does, I think, help to reconnect to players with fans. Though I'm sure there are instances where players are slightly less sincere about it, where they, they are acting on the advice of consultants or agents or marketing teams, where they they want they have to be seen to be, to be per- performing an apology because that's what we expect. But it's the problem to me is is the fact that that is now becoming expected that if players lose and Steve's right it's it's related to cost but I don't think it's entirely related to cost because I think a lot of the people who demand the apologies are not spending any money to go to the game they might be paying a subscription TV fee keyboard warriors potentially yeah it's, it's, or partially. it strikes me as a an online thing as much as anything else Chinch mentioned that platform and, and, on, and online is a big big part of the platform and I guess that is is an interesting factor in this because you know, within society, you know, people feel like they need to be seen to be doing the right thing, whether they necessarily f- feel the emotions they're expressing. And obviously social media, footballers are on Instagram and, and Twitter, etc. that gives them that opportunity to be seen to be doing the right thing. You know, I, I didn't have a good game. You know, I contributed to us losing a match, but my way of being able to look like I feel terrible about that is to say sorry on social media you know the fans I'll do better next time I mean when in your playing days when you were you know out of the shop B Jam Woolworth somewhere like that <laughs> quick, quick save quick save <laughs> quick save and you know it, 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 would would a fan maybe come up to you to talk about your performance at the weekend would they challenge you imagine if, if social media had been around when I played the amount of apologies I'd have to make <laughs> I'd be saying sorry every single but weekend. But it, my but point yeah. is that if you if you if you were out and about and a city fan saw you and recognised yeah, 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 you, yeah, the yeah. Left which was their all, way of communicating with you yeah. at that time. The, yeah. the left back is always the most recognisable member Absolutely. of any, any so, football so team. Real star. You know, like, Hinchcliffe, what were you yeah, doing yeah, at the weekend? No, no, you were no. you wouldn't just be you wouldn't ignore them. You'd probably you'd probably look to be seen to be doing the right thing and say yes, yeah, sorry. You know, we didn't we didn't do our best. I was thinking about what to order from the Chinese. Sour chicken. Did you feel sorry? 
did you feel apologetic when you lost games and played badly? Well, we, yes. we spoke well, about when you yes. said about the nerves team. episode. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only thing you could do to put it right was play well in the next game, and that that's the way the form that my apology would would take. Of course, if you had, would I? I don't use social media now. Would I have used it if you were younger? Maybe you would do. Um, but it's, it's having the ability to do it and pretty much instantly. You can go straight back into the dressing room and do it mm. straight away. But again, it's the motives behind that. If it's coming from the individual and they feel so bad that they have to do that. The way I felt, I probably would do because I do feel very guilty in life when things but did you feel guilty? So I, I, probably would have, I probably would have done. Was that guilt towards your teammates or towards the fans? Teammates uh, primarily. But yeah, I, and actually it was worse when I played on Merseyside being from Manchester. I felt the need to put it right even more strangely mm. by playing in a, a foreign country of Merseyside <laughs> because I felt I was under more scrutiny coming from yeah. Manchester. Where really? I went, yes, yes. But then I seemed to be kind of taken to the hearts of Everton fans. Strangely, I don't know why that was because I always thought it would be harder playing for Everton coming from Manchester. I think that's that's really interesting. Does, yeah, part of me has always wondered whether any of it's sincere and or the majority of it's in, insincere. And, and that's all... unfair on the ones that are sincere but may, but because maybe, they get tarred with the same brush. Maybe we do underestimate how much players, and it's easy to get caught up with the idea that you know players don't care and it's just about money and they're, they're just doing a job. But maybe, you know, obviously they have their own professional pride. Yeah. They have a loyalty to their teammates and they won't want to let them down. But there must be there must be a decent proportion of them who genuinely feel that they have let their fans down. It's the scale of it. And the, the worry to me is if it becomes normalised that... that players have to apologise for losing games. If you score three own goals and accidentally kick the referee in the head and get sent off, then then fine, you apologise for kind of having a, a meltdown or whatever. But if you just play in a team that, that doesn't, it doesn't quite click, or even, this is the other thing, that wasn't as good as the opposition. It, you're, yeah. you're allowed, your team isn't always going to be the best team on the pitch. And if it's it then it's because, because it's United and you lose. It doesn't matter who you play against, we're United. And, and so and the, the way that it the happens... The top clubs feel they've got to apologise because they lose maybe so rarely that they yeah. think, well, I've, I've got to do this because it's unusual for us to get beat. But also the fans demand it more, or a section of fans demand it more, because we have created, as a kind of football culture, which is the fans and the media and the clubs themselves, an environment in which the big teams are not expected to lose and every defeat is a disaster. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, you know, we, we lost away at... Southampton, that happens because sometimes you lose games. It's very rarely though. It's um, it's kind of a let's have an inquest. Let's find out what went wrong. You know, seven things Mauricio Pochettino must do to improve Spurs' terrible form of six wins, one draw, or one <laughs> defeat. <laughs> and and in that culture, I guess the players do feel that they understand. They they absorb enough of it that they feel that the, that the defeat is in some way kind of a. Not it's it's something that ought not to happen, and it shouldn't happen because they're so used to winning every every week. So I, I don't know. I just I think that the, the more that we get used to seeing players apologise, it changes the dynamic. Is that they then become? If you're paying, what Steve says is completely right. If you're paying fifty quid a ticket, you do demand entertainment, and that's understandable. And that's why we've seen atmospheres change and all that in recent years. But you you still no, uh, there's no price that you pay that can guarantee your team wins, and that's kind of. That, I, I've always thought that's implicit in in being a fan. Mm. So the solution is cheaper tickets. Well, if you look in, <laughs> you do a lot of commentary in Germany. Yeah. Do the fans, do you feel that the fans are as furious after defeat as they are in England? I think the, the so, so tickets in Germany are what, 20 euros. You can drink in the stadium whilst you're watching the match. Food is cheap. You can travel to the game for the cost of your ticket. You know, your ticket gives you access to public transport on the day of the game so it's a fairly low cost footballing experience compared to what we see in England with the Premier League I think fans in Germany 
will stand by their team for longer if they're going through a bad run. But when it comes to a head, they will mobilise and voice their concerns and their complaints. And you often see, probably a couple of times a season in Germany, because there is a better relationship, or I, I get the sense that there is a better relationship between the fans and the players, perhaps because, of course, there's fan involvement in the running of the clubs. That, that might be a consideration as well. Is it You'll often see, right, you know, maybe a team has gone on a six or seven match unbeaten run. Form has not been good. They're plummeting down the table. The fans suddenly decide enough is enough. They are howling with derision at the end of the game and you'll see perhaps the captain and the goalkeeper for example senior players go over hold their hands up and apologise and there's often a, a conversation between players and the and the hardcore element of the support the, the supporters feel like they're getting their message across the players demonstrate that they are listening and and I'm sure they are delivering the message back that you know they are working as hard as they can and to try and turn things around so when they turn they will turn, but they feel they get the opportunity to deliver their message directly, and that seems to settle things down a little yeah. bit. Whereas it's much more of a disconnect in in other in other leagues. I guess Germany look at Bayern; they yeah. tend to win pretty much every game. When they lose a game, say like United lose a game, or Chelsea lose a game, or City lose a game, would would the response from Bayern players be, "We've lost"? This is we've got to apologise for this or I've scored an own goal. Would they react in the same way that maybe the top four or five clubs in the Premier League would do? Well, when they went on the bad run under Ancelotti, there was a lot of kind of hand wringing. Steve's right. They, they do, what's, they, a, what's a bad run consist of for Bayern Munich? They, where were they when Ancelotti went? They were third, fourth, not it, top. Yeah, they weren't top. It was close. It was there was not much in yeah. it, but they were certainly not. They'd lost a uh, couple. We're not dominating in the in the way that it would have been anticipated. And they been, they should have been. Just whether they would react in the same way that yeah. maybe players would do. In the, the top but, of the Premier League. Bayern maybe aren't a great example. I, I wonder with Bayern whether there is an expectation that that they'll get it right in the end anyway. Yeah. That, that, that they exactly. could go, they're going to go and win 19 games in a row. So who cares? You know, we've, we've lost a couple. Just makes it more interesting. Okay. So it's maybe not quite yeah. as. Yeah. I think that I think Rory's I think Rory's right. I think it would it would take an awful lot more for the for the fans to to mobilise to turn on the players in that way because they would anticipate that the situation would get resolved as it did. this That's maybe the player himself, the players' yeah, reaction to getting beaten because it all comes like we're talking about Bayi or we're talking about Alexander Arnold, a player, a Bayern player. Would he feel you know we've lost all the way that we've lost? We feel even though we win so many games and. Yeah, Yes, we will win the next fifteen. There's still there won't be that natural reaction to say sorry for, for that. For them, you're more like, you're more likely to see them try and reach out to supporters if there was disappointment, say in the Champions League. Mm, yeah, you know, if they were knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League or the last sixteen, that might be the point at which you say, "Do you know what? We've fallen way short ah, of expectations." Okay. Sorry, oh. you, your, deep, uh, your deep breath and your your arms flailing in the air suggested that I had spoken enough. <laughs> well, first of all, go on, face. Go on, face. Have I would say. have given you the last clause of that sentence if you wanted it. The, the, the thing is about this, it, it's born of insecurity, is it not? People like Eric Bailly are apologising after a bad performance of their team and Trent Alexander-Arnold might be doing it as well because they're not necessarily sure that they can guarantee that they can get it better. So apologising is a way of diffusing. It's cathartic. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel better, better short-term. And maybe long-term, it'll, it'll get fixed. But by that point, the apology's forgotten. It's mm-hmm. okay. Well, the bad performance for which you're apologising has been forgotten. In Germany, for Bayern Munich, perhaps there's no need to apologise because they have such self-confidence that they're going to get it right, that there's kind of no need to. So that the, the, the apology is born out of an insecurity that you genuinely don't know if you can provide 
an apology via an upturn in form or an improvement. So you actually, you do it like if you're dead set, convinced, completely sure that there's no need for an apology, it's probably because you know that the apology will be represented by winning the next 19 yeah, games yeah. as it were for Bayern Munich. There so there's, there's an insecurity, a lack of confidence perhaps. There is that. one other slight difference. And we just quickly, we shouldn't romanticise foreign football because if you look at what happens in, in Italy, certainly to an extent in France and definitely in South America, where, I mean, I think, after Juve lost to Napoli in the in Serie A uh, in April, you had uh, and that came on the on hot on the heels of them getting knocked out of the Champions League. There was a delegation of Juve ultras that went to Juventus' training ground, and Claudio Marchisio and one or two others had to go out and, and talk to them yeah. down. It wasn't it wasn't a, a violent protest, but it was a kind of hostile welcome to just to remind the players this is Juventus. You do not lose football matches to Napoli. Um, and th- so it's, that is not ideal. You've had incidents in Argentina of San Lorenzo ultras threatening players. You've, they happen all the time in in Brazil as well, where you get the ultras who will go and kind of demonstrate at the team. And th- that is an unimaginably hostile thing to do. They're almost like they're reminding the players of their responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's also but also it's, it's uh, what I, I'm, I'm fascinated by those conversations that, that you, you quite often see Dortmund have them with the yellow water with the Sutra Tribune at Sydney Luna Park when they're losing. What are the players saying? Oh yeah, do you know what? We're, we're going to try a bit harder, lad. Sorry, yeah. we're just um, it's just that you know Mats is rubbish at football, so we'll, we'll get him out. <laughs> but, of the but at least you know. I mean, it's not, not necessarily the way to, to do it, particularly if it's threatening, but you at least get an apology that you feel is genuine or it, reaction it face-to-face that you're able to it, get in no other situation. It sounds patronising, it's not meant to be, but it, it's basically, it's the players acknowledging the yeah. fans' concerns and I think the fans generally appreciate that. So I think we shouldn't romanticise it too much because we sh- it's not the case that everyone, except in England, is is perfect. But the, the, there is one difference, which is I think in England, more, more than anything, we, and you see it actually with Ancelotti sacking at Bayern, we see all defeats for the big teams and all bad runs for the big teams as a moral failing. It's that they're not trying enough. It's that they are somehow weak-willed and they don't want it. They don't have the hunger. They don't have the fight. Yeah. Fans Wh- are not very fatalistic, are they? When, really? <laughs> when Ancelotti was messing up at Bayern, they talked about a lack of lack of rigor in training. They talked about the players being bored. They talked about his tactical sort of inability to kind of come up with a new system. There was an element of, you know, the players aren't being challenged and there's maybe not that hunger, that drive there. But it was only one part of the conversation. There were other failings attached. And I think, I wonder if in a culture where all defeats are explained by a lack of hunger, that they didn't want it enough, Mm. whether that's a culture that maybe encourages apologising because the players themselves might assume that they lost because they didn't try hard enough. Are they setting a precedent, players, clubs, institutions, and we'll come on to the FA apologising for that Harry Kane tweet in a moment. Um, If you set a precedent of apology, what happens when somebody doesn't apologise? It's like in politics, if somebody resigns for doing something, and we're doing (laughs) doing this in the the week that Amber Rudd resigns as Home Secretary, there is a a thing in politics that it's it's about the the cover-up, not the crime. So actually, if you're a player and you don't apologise... Is that considered looking, then worse. that you, you meant to do it yes. all along? You I deliberately wasn't trying hard enough. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, yeah. so now if we, we've created a precedent that everybody's going to have to apologise because it's the lack of apology that tells you more than anything else. Yeah. That's the problem. So it, it, And that will, that will apply to every defeat for whatever reason. And it's, I'm not sure that's healthy, if I'm completely honest. I'm not sure that, it, that it's an element of fandom or... And it, you don't want to have a go at fans, and I think the media are just as bad at it as, as some supporters. Because they 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 live they they, they stoke it. The they media get very excited it. by an apology. And, yeah. But you, players, the idea that players should have to apologise for every defeat is completely 
to me, it, it, it does. It's, it changes the dynamic between what the footballers are doing and what they're, what they're and what the fans expect them to do. And I think that's, that's dangerous. I think it's, it's quite right that a coach, and to use the example that, that Hugh mentioned at the, at the beginning, uh, Claude Puel apologising for Leicester's defeat at Crystal Palace, a heavy defeat, unexpectedly heavy defeat. He came out and apologised to the fans in his post-match interviews. And I think sometimes mm. that is an appropriate thing yes. to do because yes. you've fallen well, well short of the level and standard that you've set. But yeah, just to be apologising for a defeat, you know, four or five nil losses happen. Mm. So it's, it, 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 and it loses its significance if you're apologising all the mm. time. It's, it's this, I feel a little bit the same. This, this sounds really stupid, but when you know, you know, when teams offer free coach travel to fans who've be, got knocked out in the, they've been knocked out in the cup four nil by Rochdale, and Portsmouth will offer their, will say we're going to reimburse your coach travel. It's a lovely gesture, and I'm not criticising the clubs for doing it, but why? Like when you buy the ticket for the game, when you buy your travel, when you when you commit that money, you're not doing it in the hope you're of not, a big defeat to get your money back. But you're not. You're, you, <laughs> you're not paying that money and I take Steve's point yep. completely but you're not paying that money in exchange for a victory that's not how that's not how this works and you can't so at what point so alright so if Carlisle lose at Plymouth 7-0 Carlisle say right we're, we're, we're and for our foreign listeners those places are very far apart <laughs> a yes. long way away the um Although, right, we, for our foreign listeners nowhere in England is very far apart yeah, from they're by English standards <laughs> the um the 150 miles <laughs> yeah terrible roads it might well. take three or four hours <laughs> the um yeah and right, the, right we're going to reimburse the travel and it's and pay for your tickets and that's brilliant you get 50 60 quid back of, of what you've invested that's fantastic it's you know the economy's tough people need money it's fine what what where do you draw the line if Carlisle lose 2-1 at Plymouth do they have to reimburse the fans what what it, 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 there is a threshold yes. it begs that's the question what yeah. is what sort of defeat is acceptable? I, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't mention set-piece menu Buffalo regular contributing producer Andy Fraser, who it was a conversation I was having with him that led to this idea of footballing apologies because he was talking about entitlement, saying exactly what you have said there, in that where on the back of your ticket does it guarantee you value for money why should you know you do you have fans going they should the players should dig deep into their own pockets and reimburse what it cost us to get to the game today because their performance was so atrocious well where on the ticket does it say that you're entitled to that yeah but and actually, it's, it's a really good point. You might get both you and but the opposition might be brilliant. So this is it. You, this is you might be trying as hard as you can yeah. and you still get beaten 5 or 6 nil. This is the crucial thing that we are moving slowly and slowly further and further away from an, from a world in which the opposition are allowed to be better than you yeah and that's a real problem because a lot of defeats are because the other team were better and, and do you know what their fans have paid for their tickets as well but just to just to be abundantly clear this is not an assault on fans because this is this is probably a climate that yeah, the yeah. media has created where every defeat is treated as a disaster where where coaches are kind of hauled over the coals because they've drawn a game where everyone's roaring or blasting or or claiming that you know, this isn't good enough or that's not good enough or the changes have to be made where we've encouraged the, the sacking of coaches because of runs of defeats that are entirely explicable. We've created this, this climate of short-termism and as a result, what we've got is a world where fans, a section of fans, have taken that kind of literally and totally understandably and now expect their money back after defeats, or certainly heavy defeats, and where players think they have to apologise because other players are better than them. So that Trent Alexander-Arnold thing Marcus Rashford played really well yeah. took both of his goals brilliantly mm. that happens sometimes you're up against someone I mean Chinch will know sometimes you're up against someone who's better than you <laughs> every week <laughs> Andy Sinton 
Oh, he... Oh, I was all over the place. Stuart Simmons. Ripley. Uh, don't stop mentioning <laughs> right wingers because every one of them <laughs> who had me on England. toast. Do they have this problem in Spain? Do, do, do La Liga defenders have to spend most of their Monday mornings apologising because they've been bested by Ronaldo and Messi? <laughs> lo siento por <laughs> lo que pasó contra Messi. So Puel apologised. No, I wonder if he apologised because to do so quickly gets it out of the way. And again, it's cathartic. And we, we commentated on a game, Manchester City at Chelsea. I think City lost 6-0. Yeah. And Sven Juran Eriksson, the first thing he did yes. in yeah, the yeah, post-match yeah. interview was to apologise because it's it's an occasion where it's not... You, this is the where the comparison with politics breaks. It's easy to apologise and it feels to them, I would imagine, hmm. that it puts it to bed mm. and it's a kind of a cure-all. But I've apologised, so yeah, therefore... But it is the coach's the place. I feel it's the coach's place to apologise for a team performance. You talk about that game where they lost at Palace 5-0, Leicester. Mark yeah. Albrighton sent off. I presume he didn't apologise personally, but Puel said... You should well, have done it a terrible job. It was, but Puel <laughs> said, yeah, it's not about, it's about the... T- and I take responsibility and I apologise for a really poor performance. Um, that's one of the manager's jobs. That's one of his jobs. Absolutely, to distract us away from their poor I I if necessary. Yeah, but don't, I don't think you need to tweet these things out. Press conferences—that is the place for you know, win or lose, you, you kind of weigh it all up. And if you're brilliant and you win four nil, you take all the all the credit. And maybe if you lose one nil, you try and explain that away. If you lose five or six and get a player sent off, there's a lack of discipline. Then it's the coach's place to say, "Yeah, I apologise to the Leicester fans. That was clearly not a good day, but we'll try and put it right." And it's the coach. The coach is the right person to do that. So, what about institutions? Why did the FA feel the need? to apologise for that tweet. It happened after the FA Cup semi-final. Uh, Harry Kane had had a subpar game. Not fit. Um, and there was a, a gif, wasn't it, of uh, Chris Smalling yeah. saying the word Harry Kane and the tweet from the FA Cup's official account, not the FA's official account, saying, um, what's that you've got in your pocket, Chris Smalling? And he says Harry Kane to suggest that um, he had led to Harry Kane having a poor game. This is Harry Kane, the... Probable England captain mm. at the World Cup. Is is that that bad? But both, I think it's both quite clubs, is, is both it? clubs were thought to have been less than impressed by this tweet. Really? So Spurs were offended because it belittled Harry Kane, and Manchester United were offended because it made it made them look like they were enjoying a defeat in a way that wasn't but necessarily gentlemanly. Humor in this world that we can't take everything offended. But they were, it's they from they the official FA Cup account. If it had been from a fan, it would have done the round. I, I don't it. really. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that that's why the sequence of events happen. Or is it because it's the FA? They they can't do anything like that. There can't be any humour in anything that they do. I'm I I hate this kind of culture of 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 outrage. As I think a lot of people, I don't know that's a controversial opinion. Although some people surely will be outraged by it. But the (laughs) you better apologise. Apologise now. I'm sorry for (laughs) hating things. But the the thing that did strike. I saw that tweet. I was at Wembley and I saw that tweet come out. And I did think at the time, you're the FA. It's the official FA Cup account. Mm. That's not your job. Is not banter, and it's the same with the BBC. This is going to cost me money, but the BBC, the, the timber of the BBC's social media accounts is astonishing. You're the BBC. You're not a like a lad Bible banter account. Just be the BBC. You don't need to clickbait. You don't need to engage in this kind of this war for for attention that everybody else does because we're already paying for you. So just just be the BBC. Certain certain institutions, I think, do have a a duty and a responsibility to rise above the fray a little bit. I think the FA tweet with Smalling was 
it was ill-judged. It'll have been a kid who's working on the social media account who just who just picked the wrong tone, and that's that's fine. Everyone makes mistakes. He do, that kid does not need to apologise. He might have seen somebody else do it and thought that's a that's good funny, idea. Yeah. I'll yeah. I'll look. In fact, the only it. reason they needed to apologise is although it's a good gag, it's a little bit of a tired gag now, and yeah. it is more the you know it's the preserve of fans for the occasion. If, if or, it was funnier, <laughs> it would have been it's okay. It's the preserve of fans or Mikhail Lusted, who during the old firm game showed. Uh, one of the Murphys, there's too many, Mur- Jamie Murphy, I think, uh, it was like 4-0 Celtic, and he sh- sort of, he was walking away with Jamie Murphy and just kept showing him his pocket. <laughs> Which, that, that is funny. If you're doing it in the middle of it, if you're confident enough to do it in the middle of a game, especially the old firm, then feel free. But for the FA to do it, I think he's slightly, it's slightly know. too much. I but what I, where, I would, where I would agree with you, you muscle-bound hunk, thanks, <laughs> is that, is that I don't think there's any reason for What it. relevance does that again, have to again, this conversation? No pronouns. I mean, we just got to know who you're talking about there because it could have been anybody. Clearly, James. <laughs> the, um, the you've lost your, you've lost your thread, totally though, haven't you? Have but you the, noticed Superdrive's been replaced by Diesel? Do you know what? Before I get changed to come with these, but I have to put on something. <laughs> I do, seriously. I go through my wardrobe and I can't wear yeah. those T-shirts because I just one. get ripped. Not, it's, not those yeah. 80. It's, yeah, like it's, those two. A, it's like a scene from a teen movie. Shinji's opening in his closet looking for a non-Superdrive. <laughs> Rory, anyway, you were saying you you maroon jumper wearing buffoon scribe <laughs> buffoon that I do agree that the idea that the clubs could be offended by yeah, yeah, is a yeah, bit yeah. is a bit much. Like I can understand why the clubs were un- would, why you might be a little bit unimpressed and why Spurs were. I would imagine they would be careful to not say offended. Yeah. they would be careful to say, say not impressed. Yeah. But. I guess the the other thing is that we've seen with Harry Kane recently. After all the all the banter about him claiming the goal against Stoke, Stoke, that he clearly found the fact that he became the butt of the joke quite hurtful, which, on one level, makes you think you should probably you should probably be a bit a bit thickest in than that to be a professional footballer. But on the on the other, you don't have to be. Like it's fair enough for Harry Kane to be hurt. If someone if, if the entire country was taking the Mickey out of me, I'd be really upset. But that's true. self deprecation. That, that's yeah. true. But I think it was because that. partly because we've mentioned about how organised the Liverpool support is. It was to do with Salah. Not necessarily yeah. to do with Kane per se. It was the it was the combination of Kane doing it, being behind Salah, and so the the, the Liverpool fans thought it was amusing to mock him because boot, it's yeah. the race for the gold. But boot. equally, it was. I mean, he he was still like five or six goals. I know. Back at that's the time. why. That's it why was I was confused. Bit, yeah. If it was like they were level, yeah, it would have. So it yeah, was. It was still the decisive. It goal. was not um, commensurate with the uh, offence. I think the thick skin thing is a really good point that Rory makes because I think whilst the whilst you can understand why. Tottenham and Manchester United in seeing being seen to do the right thing have got to express their outrage. We've talked in the past about, you know, the the examining experience that it is to become a professional footballer, how tough both mentally and physically you have to be to to come through the the ranks to deal with all the banter. You know, we've we've talked, Rory, haven't mm-hmm. we, about how, you know, the one thing that even if we did have the talent that surviving that dressing room atmosphere must be really a really tough ex- experience endless, Rob, endless Robbie Savages no thank you especially so, for pretty boys like you two but what, what happens if you get to the state what, what, again why you, that could have been any two <laughs> why, why are you suddenly when you're earning £100,000 a week yeah. no longer thick skinned enough to deal with a little bit of mirth at your expense you can imagine the, the grief he would have taken in, if the dressing rooms were anything like the dressing rooms 20-25 years ago they're maybe not they're a bit bigger kind of more places. comfortable Jim. they are there's more jacuzzi in there, but surely he's taken more grief than that comment. I, I just think, do the clubs feel obliged to say we're not happy about this? Culture feel, of outrage, yeah. Come on, yeah. come on. It's it's not the funniest joke you've ever, but it's certainly not the worst thing that's ever been said about and someone. Is the, it? The, the other thing Hang on a minute, Steve just took a large intake of breath and he? waved his arms oh, around, so we important. know what that means. If 
over over the, over the over the goal against Stoke, whether or not it it did flick off Harry Kane's shoulder or not, surely. The person who has rinsed Harry Kane the most over that is Christian Eriksen, the player who took the free yeah. kick and would have otherwise been awarded the goal. Mm. If he if he hasn't given Harry Kane a harder time than the Liverpool fans, surely he's not really doing his job as a teammate, is he? Absolutely, it is. He's, he might be a good player, but surely he can hand out the uh, Scandinavian bants. But the other thing you don't know about the, the, the Smalling incident is the clubs will have been asked by journalists what they think of that So they're trying tweet. to stoke it up? Well, no, no, I think, well... It's not necessarily the journalist's agency. Does the the journalists would have been told by their offices what what's this? You know, this looks this looks like a potential kind of row. So the journalist then goes to the to the to the club spokesman or whatever and says, you know, what do you make of this? And the club spokesman says, well, you know, I mean, it's not really ideal. It could be that. It could be both clubs just saying, well, we're not not particularly happy about it, but whatever. And that then becomes unimpressed. Or it could be that Spurs was, you know, stomping their feet and calling people. You don't know the genesis. I don't know the genesis of the story. So, and th- those things are different, but they're presented as the same. A club getting really upset by something and saying, oh, this is awful. Something must be done, which some clubs do, mm-hmm. is different to a club being called and a spokesperson saying, well, we're not really, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not brilliant, but whatever. And, but they can be presented as the same thing. And until you know that, it's quite hard to know how outraged they were. Just going slightly off topic here. Don't look at the, don't look at the screen. Went back, back about 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Christian Eriksen. Either of you know the Danish word for banter? Because I'm sure he is. Rory can't contribute because he's just taken a large mouthful of party ring. There's no way you're going to get this. Drilleri. There you go. Is Danish for banter. That's according to Google Translate. So the any Danish people in the dressing room will be full off with Drilleri. They'll have been drillarious after. Oh, look at that. Would anybody like to apologise for anything that has preceded this point in the programme? I'm really sorry about lads. Really sorry about that we couldn't get the win today. Uh, the uh, trying to work really hard to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, sorry to all the all the fans. You were great today. You were great today. Um, great noise. Great travelling support. Uh, you know, see see you at um, West Brom Main Road next week. <laughs> Transcribe that footballers. <laughs> Word perfect. I'd like to apologise for some of the listener contributions today. Uh, in the whole, they've been excellent but one that I feel responsible for because it came from a friend of mine was was subpar. So on Simon Way's behalf, Mm. I'd like to say sorry for his email. This is something that we may well have to apologise for afterwards. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. I'll apologise for the story I'm about to... No, it's not that bad, really. Have I mentioned Les Helm before, the old Everton physio that looked after me quite a lot during my injury days? Um, Well, I don't want to ruin the story. The one who, in the every time, he was pardon. He was the one. Oh that no, that was I, the club doctor. Club doctor. Yes, so we're fine. Yes, we no, can, no, no, no. Let's hell. Let's hell was the one when I ruptured my uh, ACL against Leeds. Came off at half time and said and did all the tests on me. Said you're fine. Here's a tuby grip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I went back out and, play, and then had to have the operation the next day. So that's that's we how astute he was as a physiotherapist. Well, I did have a lot of days injured at Everton. You might not know this, I had a lot of days injured in my career. Is that right? Yeah, and this was a particular problem I was having with my symphysis pubis. We all know what the symphysis pubis is. Do we all know what the symphysis pubis is? I think the second word gives it... Yeah, do yeah you know the area that I might have a problem? It's where the two pelvic bones at the front of a man's body meet, and there's a, there's a, a cartilage... Okay. And I apparently had a pelvis that looked like I'd given birth. <laughs> That's what I was told once by a consultant. Do you have shapely hair? Because obviously, when ladies give birth, everything loosens up a little bit, so the uh, the child can flow. 
And uh, my sympathies pubis describes childbirth. My sympathies pubis was a little bit lax. So Les Helm who he, he tended to read a lot of books and not go on a lot of courses, but he said, I've, I've got an idea of how we can maybe treat this injury. And we did a lot of relaxation techniques and cesarean. stuff. So this was... What? Cesarean. No, he didn't give me a cesarean because I wasn't pregnant. Uh, he got me to lay on the treatment table and we did a lot of breathing exercises. And he put this kind of, you know, like a, a towel over your, your head and stuff so it's all dark and all that kind of stuff. And this was in the afternoon after all the players had finished training. We were there on our own. And... Um, he started to, I started to feel sensations around my lower abdomen area. But because I was laid back and had it, I just thought, okay, well, let's, I thought, what on earth is going on here? And this, oh, that's a tingle. Oh, that's a tingle. Oh, yeah, I think we're asking the same Ooh. question. Yeah, <laughs> that's, really that's, a tingle, that's a tingle. And eventually, about five, ten minutes, he said, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? I said, yeah, it's strange. Sense. Oh, th- th-. And there's like this little kind of pinprick pains around my body. So he eventually takes the towel off my eyes, and I look down, and I'm like a human hedgehog. <laughs> He's put acupuncture needles into me. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a slight worry, because I don't think he was real, a doctor of Eastern medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he used to work on the docks, but he got the job at Everton as a physio. But he felt free to just apply all these acupuncture, and there was hundreds of them. Now, I thought acupuncture worked in lines. It does, yeah. And this was more like a forest. <laughs> and I, the worry was... Still describing the yeah. acupuncture. And apparently you... you <laughs> yes. <laughs> you twiddle them and they're meant to do things to... I just wanted them out of me. And it was the strangest thing. But eventually he got rid of all these... And I was thinking, this can't be right. And he said, do, do you think we should try that process again? Never. <laughs> Never. But tell me you're going to do it in the first place. And show me your credentials to show that you, you, you just got a load of acupuncture needles and thought, I'll stick him in his groin, it'll be were, fine. Were Didn't they, help in the slightest. Were they even acupuncture needles? <laughs> Tent pegs. They were. <laughs> Toothpicks. Hammer. <laughs> but can, can you imagine when you... T- and there's like 20 or 30 of these things and you're thinking... I just want them off. But you can't brush them off. Oh, no, no, Because they penetrate. Yeah. But Les, what are you doing? Callus is all over his hands. He shouldn't be manipulating things like did, that around my groin. Did, did it work? No. How's your, it didn't how's work. How's your pubis? My symphysis pubis is still fairly lax. <laughs> but it's worked to my advantage over the years. So, so I'm not going to ask Oh, dearie me. We were doing so well. What? So many words that we didn't say and Chinch, then you ruined it. Chinch, let, you, let me get this right. So a man says to you, we're going to wait till everyone else has gone home from training. Yes. I'm going to lie you down. Right, okay, we know where you're going. Over your head. Yes. Perhaps yes. in the current climate we should... And uh, stick stuff in you. <laughs> stick stuff in your groin or region. Move on absolutely now. Um, by the way, coming up next week, uh, we will look at the SPM Premier League Predictions League entering the final week of the season. Oh. Which is incredibly exciting. Is and it? We'll probably not very much change in the final week of the season, no. but still, uh, it'll be fascinated to see who's going to win our special prize of absolutely nothing. Um, between now and then, you can still get in touch, as all of you have done so. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, don't forget uh, how you can do that at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thanks to Steve, Rory, and to Andy, and his lax pubis and thank you to you all for listening we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed does it it's not lax pubis <laughs> symphysis pubis can I just you have to clarify does it make a difference in your day to day life oh yes are you a bit more sort of bendy oh, than more mobile. more mobile more mobile than the average 49 year old male is that right yeah is it do you sometimes feel that I don't know I can't really imagine how it would work having a lax symphysis pubis <laughs> that's why I'm so lucky I've just lived with it for so many years it's tremendous <laughs> tremendous <laughs> Maybe, maybe you owe Les Helm a debt of gratitude then.
Yeah, for nearly ending my career and then sticking needles in me unnecessarily. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll high-five him next time I see him. Maybe he relaxed it even more. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think he's still there. Although it sounds like that might have been quite a tense experience, <laughs> to be honest. I think it, it, Everton went down the road of actually getting qualified for his years <laughs> from there on in. It seems like the right route to take. Yes. But we did some, we did some good work. His rehab work was excellent down the docks in, in, uh, in Bootle.